Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With the Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing Hardball. Do you know what major motion picture featured the video game Hardball? Listen to this episode to find the answer to this trivia question. But before we start talking about this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. I hope everyone had a good 4th of July. Um, I suppose that is a holiday that we only celebrate here in the United States. But even if you didn't celebrate a holiday, I hope you had a good 4th of July anyway. (laughs) I used to celebrate the 4th of July by loading up a copy of... I used to call it Fireworks Construction Set because or Fireworks Construction Kit because that's what it really is. But the official title from Activision is the Complete Computer Fireworks Celebration Kit, which was a program that you could build your own uh, fireworks display. You can pick different kinds of fireworks and a cityscape and music and set up fireworks. And now that I think about it, it's a pretty sad way to celebrate the 4th of July. But um, uh, I, I did, uh, I think I have a video somewhere on YouTube of me showing off that game. Uh, but uh, that, it was an interesting thing. It seems odd that someone would pay money to have that <laughs> title. Like they would play it uh, all the time. But uh uh, speaking of YouTube videos, uh, I've been doing a lot of Twitch streaming lately, so if you don't catch those shows live, I do them at a minimum 8 o'clock Central Time here in the U.S. on Twitch, but if you don't catch those live, they get archived over on YouTube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming, so you can go there and look for the Sprite Castle playlist and find all my Commodore 64 game streams, and if I stream outside of that window... Those videos get archived over at youtube.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Again, just look for the Sprite Castle playlist and you can find those videos. Some of the games I've streamed recently include Hardball, which is the game we're talking about today. I did Impossible Mission 1 and 2. And this week I did a video where I was archiving some Commodore 64 floppy disks using a Zoom floppy. So that's taking physical Commodore 64 floppy disks and turning them into D64 disk images that you can use with emulators. So if you want to watch how that's done, I do a little bit of that, and then we go through those disks and see what kind of games are on them. So that was a lot of fun. I got some feedback from my last episode, which was Ball Blazer, and I got some different comments from people, just brief comments. Hey, I played it. Hey, I liked it. I didn't like it, that sort of thing. But I did have... Uh, an email exchange with Quinn Dunkey. Uh, Quinn Dunkey is the genius, I should use that word, behind BlondieHacks.com. That's B-L-O-N-D-I, Hacks.com. Uh, she also has a YouTube channel called Blondie Hacks. You can follow Quinn on Twitter at Quinn Dunkey, Q-U-I-N-N-D-U-N-K-I. Quinn is... One of the regular hosts of the Retro Computing Roundtable podcast uh, that also includes Carrington Vanston and Paul Hagstrom and some other rotating hosts. If I sound like a Quinn Dunkey fanboy, I certainly am. Uh, she's always working on projects and doing cool stuff. 
Um, the, if there's any bad thing I could say about Quinn Dunkey, it's that if you go to her site or her YouTube channel, you will immediately realize how much time you have wasted in your life not doing things. <laughs> Quinn's always working on something. You know, my latest video on YouTube is of me playing hardball, and Quinn's latest video is her building a steam engine to run a uh, one of those rotating lottery uh, like plexiglass containers that you put uh, for drawings in there. So uh, she is uh, one smart cookie and somebody who's always working on on uh, cool projects. And all kidding aside, if you go to her YouTube channel or her website, it's almost impossible not to get inspired and start your own projects. So uh, if you haven't been, if you're like me and you've been kind of a sloth over the past 18 months while sitting at home, go check out Quinn's stuff. And uh, you will definitely, I always do when I, when I see the things she's working on, I'm like, geez, I'm a slug. <laughs> Anyway, uh, among other things that Quinn has done is she worked on tons and tons of video games over the past 30 years. I'm going to say 30 years. Um, and one of those games that she worked on was a game called World Destruction League Thunder Tanks. This was a game that was released on the 3DO. And she was telling me how it's very similar to Ball Blazer. It's a similar type game. And one of the things she said was that the they had come up with commentary. Someone had written some commentary, like in-game color commentary that was kind of cheesy. But they were able to get Richard Maul, you might know as Bull from Night Court, to do the commentary. And she said that uh, Richard Maul was able to just you know take these things on the paper that look corny or not very funny and really bring that stuff to life. And she made a couple of good points. One was that, uh, and this was again in regards to Ball Blazer and that extra audio stuff that I included, you know, it's the stuff that was in the manual and the PR video that they made that was, you know, kind of corny with the, the commentary, the live commentary of a Ball Blazer game. Uh, and she pointed out a couple things. One was that a lot of times that, uh, that stuff is written by the marketing department, people that haven't, maybe haven't even played the game. Uh, and that, uh, the other thing she said was that, you know, at least in, in that example where they got Richard Maul to read this stuff was that they were able to, you know, really bring this stuff to life where it looked dead on the paper, but his performance was able to make it more interesting. And it really brought up, uh, something that I didn't think about at the time during that episode, but I was, it made me think about text adventures and how, Back before computers had really uh, the ability to display great graphics, you know, I started playing text adventures on a TRS-80 Model 3, uh, and pixels on that were basically the same size as your cursor. <laughs> That's slight exaggeration, but not much. I mean, it just had these giant blocks, you know, uh, uh, displaying graphics on that machine was, uh, was really... Uh, <laughs> Not uh, just not possible to do the type of graphics that we think of today. I mean, like when you think, oh, things that blow it away, like the Apple blew it away. You know what I mean? Like it, it just it got dated very quickly. But my point is, is that with text, you could paint amazingly intricate situations, descriptions, you know, you could making this up off the top of my head, but you could say, you know, Oh, Dracula's castle on the top of the hill was surrounded with briar and, and overgrown weeds. And there was moss that had built up over years on the, on the 
stone castle, you know, that sort of thing like that, where if you were to draw that with those pixels, I mean, it would look like a big dopey square with a couple of towers on each side, you know. Um, So that is really an aspect that I didn't think about when I was talking about all that stuff that was in the ball blazer manual, Uh, you know, how ball blazer the game is pretty simple game i mean really it's 3d pong you know you and a a person are trying to hit a ball through each other's goal it just happens to be first person or third person perspective uh well first person perspective really um but you know all those that stuff that's in the manual about well this is you know your ship is this many meters wide and you're going this many miles an hour and and the whole history of the sport of all that you know that's things that they couldn't really convey in the graphics on the game, but by putting it in, you kind of build this world and, and, um, I don't know, bring it to life a little bit. So I I think, you know, in retrospect, I feel like I was a little bit hard on some of the stuff that was in the manual. I mean, it, it does seem superfluous, I suppose. And the flip side of all that is that when you pirated the game, which I most certainly did when I was a kid, right? I never saw an original of Ball Blazer, but when you pirated it and you downloaded it, you didn't get all that backstory. So all you got was this, you know, Space Age Pong game that didn't really hold your attention. So maybe by putting that extra stuff in the manual, uh, you know, it made people enjoy the game a little bit more. But anyway, I, I did, uh, I greatly enjoyed the email that I got from uh, Quinn. And every time I reply to her, I, have to go through and edit all my stuff and try to make make myself sound smarter than I really am. <laughs> so anyway, I, I did uh, enjoy all that. And speaking of castles with my dopey uh, Dracula castle, it's time to talk about last episode's King of the Castle. On the last episode where we played Ball Blazer, the... 8-bit song at the end of the episode was ACDC's Big Balls. And congratulations to Steve Sharippa and Joe Sharippa and also Bill Spear, who came in with the correct uh, name of the song. So congratulations. I suppose it was probably pretty quiet in the King of the Castle party room uh, over the past couple of weeks. There weren't too many people. I didn't see a lot of people coming and going, but I hope Steve and Joe and Bill had a good time hanging out in there. If you would like to participate and possibly become the next episode's King of the Castle, all you have to do is listen to the end of the podcast. Listen for the 8-bit song that plays. It will have something to do with this show's game, but won't be from this show's game. Then you need to send me an email at robohara at robohara.com. Put King of the Castle in the title so I'm sure to see it and that it doesn't go to my spam folder. And you could possibly win a key to King of the Castle. Now, the uh, the keys only work during the length of the last episode. So all the uh, keys from the last episode have been rescinded. And uh, the only way to get back into the party room this week's party is to participate in the King of the Castle. On to some Commodore 64 gaming news. Uh, first of all, I saw a, well, I didn't see it. Someone sent me this. It was Dave Zilly, a listener and supporter of the show, and also someone who had a birthday this past week. So happy birthday, Dave. Dave sent me a message informing me of a new game called Lady Pack. Lady Pack was written by Luca Car- Carminati, I believe is how you say it. Uh, it is a... I don't want to say Miss Pac-Man clone because it has a very interesting twist on Miss Pac-Man, and that is that the mazes are randomly generated. So every time you play it, the mazes are a little bit different, so you can't memorize 
uh, you know, where you're going to go. You have to rely on your reflexes. And I played this on one of my recent streams, and you will see that uh, I'm not very good <laughs> at Pac-Man style games. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. I did enjoy it. Uh, so that's a free download out there, Lady Pack. Um, I also got some uh, information from Wesley Hicks, who told me that the game Impossible Mission has been released for the Pico 8. Now, if you've never messed with the Pico 8, is a very simple game engine, and you can play Pico 8 games for free. I think you can uh, pay to be a developer. I bought the whole Pico 8 system, and I think it was $20 or something like that. I, it, was, it was inconsequential, and then I uh, promptly... Tried to make one thing and it didn't work and I stopped. <laughs> but uh, so if you're not into Pico 8 stuff, I know the guys over at Pixel Guide N do a lot of uh, Pico 8. I think I said Pixel 8, but Pico 8 um, game playing. And they've people have made all sorts of games. Uh, a friend of mine made a game called uh, Paneroids which is a 8-bit version of Asteroids on the Pico 8 system. There's all kinds of games out there. And uh, I think, they're all free. Maybe there are some pay ones, but 99-whatever percent of all the games are free. So if you're not into Pico 8 stuff, uh, it's a good little um, side thing to be interested in, I suppose. But, uh, uh, yep, Impossible Mission on the Pico 8. You should check that out. I saw a new preview. This is a second preview of a version of Galaga that is being worked on for the Commodore 64. This looks... I mean, from the videos I saw, it looks very close to the arcade version. It sounds really good. Uh, and it has been uploaded for people to beta test. So it's on itch.io. If you go to Arla Games, that's A-R-L-A Games dot itch dot I-O, um, you can find, uh, it's called Galaga C64 Preview and Preview Number 2 is online and he is asking for people to download the game and give him feedback. And there are some known bugs with this and he's currently working on it. I think he's looking maybe for some uh, people to help contribute, but what he's got so far looks really good. So if, uh, you know, Galaga, I think is one of those, I mean, it's a mainstay of gaming. Galaga is one of those games that when you're bored and you don't know what to play, like you've got MAME and you're like, I don't know. And then you, you open up Galaga and you play a couple games and then you go play something else, you know? So, um, <clears throat> looking forward to seeing this on the Commodore 64. There have been some, uh, clones of Galaga, uh, that ha have been good, but there's never been like a really arcade quality version of Galaga. And, uh, so I'm really excited to see how this turns out. There was also an updated video uploaded to YouTube of the Briley Witch Chronicles. Now, this is a Commodore 64 role-playing game that has been in development for quite a while by Sarah Jane Avery. I think um, one of Miss Avery's, uh, I don't want to... I'm being facetious here. One of her problems is that uh, she develops so many games that the big games uh, wait a little bit. She's done a ton of uh, shoot 'em up type games for the Commodore 64. Everything she has released is just top notch quality. And uh, I know a lot of people, this looks like uh, it is a turn-based RPG. So in this new video, it shows characters going around and running into other uh, uh, monsters and kind of a, I don't know if I would say like a uh, old school Final Fantasy kind of view. You know, it the adventure itself reminds me a little bit of 
uh, Zelda, you know, where you go around like a tile-based kind of RPG. But that's that's really not even uh, um, scratching the surface. This game is so in-depth. She's put a ton of work into it. I think it's going to be a cartridge release is what I understand. But uh, there's some new footage out there on YouTube. So if you go check out Briley Witch Chronicles, just search YouTube for that and you can find that. But I'm excited. I'm waiting for this to come out. I want to buy this game. Okay. Uh, also, there was a new release uh, called Kong, which is... Uh, it was released by Sputnik World, and it is a recreation of the old Game & Watch Donkey Kong game. So if you remember those, if you're of a certain age, when I was a kid, uh, I sell an old, we didn't have a Game Boy. We, we had these LCD games that were really terrible, and your guy would just go blip, blip, and jump to different parts. Um, and uh, so if you want to relive those horrors <laughs> of that era of gaming. Uh, this is a pretty faithful recreation of it on the Commodore 64. So go check out Kong. I'm sure you can find it on CSDB or wherever you find your Commodore 64 games. To wrap up the news, we have a drawing. Now, I mentioned on the last episode that I would be giving away a freeload cartridge from Retro Rewind. And just to remind you, the freeload cartridge is an updated version of the old Epic's fast load cartridge. Uh, it has some new features. It has a on-off switch, which is very handy because every now and then it's really, really compatible with software, but every now and then you'll find a game that it doesn't work with or a demo. Sometimes it demos that have their own disloading uh procedures and stuff. So you can flip this little toggle switch to go from on to off. And it also has a reset button, which is something that the Commodore 64 didn't come with and is very handy if you're using a real Commodore 64. So um, to enter the contest, all you had to do was, uh, oh, you know what I wanted to mention about this thing? Other thing is, um, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last episode. It works with obviously a real Commodore 64, um, and it works with real disk drives, right? Like the 1541, whatever. But it also works with those SD2 IEC devices, and it also works with the Pi 1541. So it'll speed up loading on those devices too. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, they are available for $27 on RetroRewind.ca. But during checkout, there's a spot for coupon codes. And if you type in Sprite Castle right there, you will get $10 off, which uh, will either cover shipping or come close to covering shipping uh, if you're in North America. So um, why not do that? Get, uh, get your 10% discount. But anyway, uh, I said on the last episode to enter the contest, uh, all you had to do was tweet and mention the Sprite Castle, the show, or tweet or mention the show on Instagram, or you could email me if you're not into social media. And also my patrons were also entered in. So I had a lot of action on this and thank you guys for, uh, you know, retweeting the show and links to the show and things like that. And everybody that did that got put on this giant list. And then I used a randomized wheel spinner that I found online to uh, pick a winner. So I think I had more than 100 entries when all was said and done. And the winner of the freeload cartridge is... Reminder, download sound of drumroll, put it here. <laughs> Just kidding, I'm not going to do that. 
<laughs> the winner is Stephen Burt. So congratulations to Mr. Stephen Burt. You are the new proud owner of a freeload cartridge. I will be contacting you shortly to get your shipping information. Uh, and again, if you didn't win and you were excited about the freeload cartridge, don't forget, you can go over to RetroRewind.ca and get yourself one. Uh, it's totally worth it. I have an original fast load cartridge that the label has peeled off of. Part of the plastic's broke, and it doesn't have a reset. Uh, and I probably broke the plastic from plugging it and unplugging it, uh, you know, for things that I loaded that it wasn't compatible with. So this is a, a great upgrade. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with us over at the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on my podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. If you want to support the show, get behind-the-scenes blog posts, uh, extra videos, and all sorts of things like that. You come over and join us over at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. And don't forget that Patreon supporters also get access to the Amigos Discord server, which is home to several podcast communities, including the Amigos, ARG Presents, Pixel Guide In, and the TeamSpeak Irregulars. And finally, this episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at retrorewind.ca forward slash Sprite Castle, and that will get you your 10% discount on all orders. I think during the checkout process, there will be a spot for a coupon code. Just put Sprite Castle right in there, and you'll get yourself your 10% off. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just hit my newspaper to me using a baseball bat. You're fired. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. Well, you know, I've only gone to one baseball game in my life, and I will talk about that shortly. And I remember people eating hot dogs, but unfortunately, I've already used hot dogs as a food on uh, Sprite Castle. And uh, I remember people getting popcorn, and I've already used popcorn. But the other thing I remember is people getting pretzels. Those big, giant, soft, bready pretzels. And uh, we recently went to... The outlet mall. There's an outlet mall, an outdoor outlet mall near my house. I mean, it's probably five or ten minutes away. And it's opened back up. And, of course, it's outside. So um, uh, it opened up a little bit sooner than uh, some other shopping places. And one of the places that's available to buy snacks at the outlet mall is Auntie Anne's Pretzels. And they make different kinds of pretzels. They have salty ones, which is what I got. And then they have sweet ones that are like covered in cinnamon. But, you know, my, my thought was if I got the, if I got the cinnamon one, I thought I'd have cinnamon all over my hands. So instead I got the traditional salty one and then my hands were covered in butter and salt. So I don't know that I really did myself a favor and they have the little cups of butter dipping sauce and stuff. Um, so, um, you know, I also thought, you know, because I was thinking about hardball and things, and I saw this, and I kind of put two and two together, and I thought salty pretzels are the kind that they always serve at the ball field. So that's why I got that. And speaking of ball fields, hardball. 
was published for the Commodore 64 in 1985 by Accolade. It is a game for one to two players that uses joystick controls. Now, this game uh, was, like I said, was released by Accolade. I've covered a couple of Accolade games on Sprite Castle, including Fourth and Inches, which was Episode 7. That was their football game. And Law of the West on Episode 36. So if you want to hear more about uh, Accolade, the company, you can check out those episodes. This game was designed by Bob Whitehead. If you are into classic games, you may recognize that name. Bob Whitehead originally worked for Atari, developing games for the Atari 2600. Uh, He started working for Atari in 1979. And then in 1981, he left Atari and was one of the original members of Activision. So he developed games uh, for Activision. He did uh, Chopper Command. He did Stampede. He did Boxing. He did a lot of classic Activision titles. And then in 1984, he left Activision and went to Accolade. And of course, um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but some of the, um, the traditions that they had in Activision carried over to Accolade. Um, also included uh, on the, uh, the list, on the credits, is uh, graphics, and it's by Mimi, and I don't know if you say her last name. I mean, I would say Doge. D-O-G-G-E-T-T. It could be Doggett. <laughs> I'd like to think it's Doge. Um, but uh, Mimi, we've mentioned her before. Uh, she did graphics on Law of the West. She did PSI 5 Trading Company. She did graphics on Dark Castle, which is a classic game. Uh, Card Sharks. She did some of the different graphics for SimCity uh, and Jeopardy. So she's been in the game for a long time doing graphics for computer games. Also enlists the music by Ed Bogus, uh, who it says also spells his name uh, Ed. Well, I guess it's pronounced the same, Bogus. <laughs> his last name is B-O-G-A-S, but it says also sometimes spelled B-O-G-U-S, which would be Bogus. <laughs> um, uh, Ed Bogus did the music on uh, a lot of those same titles, Law of the West, Fourth and Inches. He did uh, Weltress. Uh, he did a lot of the different Tetris clones. He did the music for Road Riot Four-Wheel Drive, which is a arcade game that I owned. He did some of these Sesame Street games. He has a uh, music title in Gran Turismo 4. So he did tons and tons of computer games. He also did games uh, or did music for cartoons. And I looked up, he did the the theme song and all the music that appeared in Garfield and Friends, which was a cartoon that I loved watching as a kid. And he also took over and did all the music for um, all the later Charlie Brown specials going back, uh, starting in the 80s. So uh, lots of, uh, uh, you've you've definitely heard his work either in video games or cartoons or somewhere else. So uh, they really put together a good team to release Hardball, and the quality of the game really shows.
hardball is a baseball game that puts you behind the plate and on the mound. You can play uh, one player versus a computer, or you can play uh, human versus human. Uh, it is a combination of arcade style baseball, but also with some baseball management uh, choices thrown in. Uh, this was a originally released on the Commodore 64 in 1985 and was ported to many other gaming systems, and there were many sequels that followed uh, Hardball. The box is interesting. The front of the box, I would say the vast majority of it is the green grass uh, from the outfield, um, which is not really what I think about when I think about baseball. I think about dirt. I think about uh, the plates, first base, second base, um, you know, other things like that. I don't really think of green grass as being part of the baseball diamond, but uh, I suppose it is. And then there is a picture of the game itself, which is very small and in the center of the uh, the front of the box. Now, I'm guessing that if they blew it up larger, it might appear pixelated, and maybe that's why it's so small. But if you look at it, it's like, you know, not quite a post-it note on a bulletin board, but it, it has that effect that the very, very large border around is a picture of grass, and then a small photograph of the game is right in the middle. Um, it says Hardball by Accolade. And then there are a couple of stickers. Uh, I actually own an original of this for the Commodore 64. Mine has two stickers. One says Designed by Bob Whitehead, and that is a tradition that carried over from Activision. Activision was very big about crediting their developers and programmers, and uh, the guys that left Activision and went on to Accolade and other companies continued that tradition, which I think is great. The other thing is uh, on the left, there's a sticker that tells you the requirements. It says Commodore 64 slash 128. It says disk drive and joystick controlled. So uh, before purchasing this, you would need to know that you needed a disk drive and that you needed a joystick. The back of the box has three screenshots of the game. It has a photograph of a baseball, and then it has a lot of text that I will not read to you. Sometimes I do read the text on the uh, boxes, the, the cover copy, but uh, really it's a lot of text just explaining how exciting baseball is. <laughs> and it has all these things, you know, watch the runner as he runs down first base trying to, you know, outrun the throw to first. And, you know, strategically, will you try to hit a home run or will you bunt and try to advance your runner? You know, so it's just that kind of stuff that's all about baseball uh i mean i don't know i feel like if you're buying a baseball game you're already hyped up about baseball you don't need to be sold on the game of baseball but um but that's what the back tries to do is just tell you how exciting uh that the game of baseball is one interesting thing about the manual is that it explains some of the features of the game there's a lot about um the management of players uh, but what it doesn't really do is explain the game of baseball. I guess they just assumed if you're buying a video game based on baseball, you know how to play baseball. I mean, there's nothing in here about, you know, trying to get your guys around the bases or stealing bases or any of the fundamental rules uh, that there'd be three outs or anything like that. Like none of that is explained in the manual. Now, I think for the most part that didn't hurt the game. But what it did hurt 
was later when Accolade started selling this overseas. And I read one review where this didn't get a great review in a German Commodore 64 magazine, and they basically said, we don't understand all the rules of baseball, <laughs> which is fair. you know. So maybe even for the overseas market, they could have expanded a little bit, included a page of, of uh, the basics of baseball or something like that. But uh, it, it just seems to be kind of a, a glaring oversight in the manual that you wouldn't explain uh, at least the basics of baseball. Like I said, there is a section uh, called scouting tips from Bob Whitehead. And for the most part, what he talks about is what the different pitchers are capable of doing. Like this guy, you know, his pitches are a little out of control and this guy is great at throwing fastballs and that sort of thing like that. So um, if you had downloaded this game and didn't have the manual, you would see that you had the ability to switch uh, pitchers, but what you wouldn't know is, um, you know, what each one's specialty was. Now, there were uh, advertisements. Sometimes I talk about advertisements in magazines, and I found an advertisement for Hardball, and I thought it looked so much better than the front of the box. This has Hardball, you know, the... Um, on the game itself and on the front of the box, it says hardball in, it's probably not Times New Roman, but it looks like that. It is a uh, serif font, um, and it's it's very plain kind of looking. But on this ad, it says hardball, and it's in that style that sometimes you see um, teams, like their, their team names written on a jersey where it's kind of flowy, if that makes sense. Um, almost like a ribbon style looking, but it, when you see it, you immediately go, Oh, that looks like it would be on a baseball Jersey. Like it, it conveys that just in the font, the artwork, uh, that they used. There's also, uh, instead of all that green grass, which again is something I would more associate with, uh, you know, football turf, it, the, the background of the ad is all dirt and there's a baseball and a bat. It's just conveys the game of baseball so much better than the front of the box. Um, then there's a section that says play ball, you know, which is a, uh, what they would say at the beginning of a baseball game, play ball. And it says play ball on your Commodore 64. And then it also has three screenshots uh, from the game and three different parts of the game. Actually, there's a, um, a screen from the actual game where you're, you're pitching. There's a part where it shows the oversight of the entire uh, play field. And then there's the lineup section, which is where you can switch out uh, your pitchers and, and do um, uh, different lineup changes and things like that. So uh, I just feel like the advertisement really conveyed a lot better the feel of the game than, uh, than the actual box did. So when you load hardball, you will come up to a big, colorful title screen, which is something that Accolade really excelled at. You get a giant picture of a baseball in front of a stadium, and uh, it says Official Accolade Inc., which I thought was odd. Like, I don't know that you need to say official, but it's, it's really large. In the middle of the baseball says Hardball. And then, of course, you get designer Bob Whitehead and graphics by Mimi Doge. I know I'm butchering her name. I'm so sorry, Mimi. <laughs> I know Mimi's a big listener of Sprite Castle. Um, once the game has finished loading, that screen goes away and you go to the menu screen. Now, this is where you can choose. You can configure. 
Uh, if it's going to be one player versus two player, and also who's going to be home and who's going to be visitor, and um, is that oh, and which joystick goes with with which player? So there's a lot of different choices here where it, it's a little bit confusing because you have to scroll down a list and find the right configuration of this player versus this player where nowadays I think this would be um, much more simplified if if they were designing uh, the interface today. You also see the management screen, which you don't really have to do. You, you could play this game and not switch out your pitcher at all, um, but that is a part of the game that a lot of people enjoy, uh, especially uh, you know more. Uh, I would say baseball enthusiasts. I think that's an important part where you can um, substitute different players. You can pick different pitchers. You can move positions around, manage positions and stuff. So if you're into that, all of that stuff is built into hardball. That's not really the part of baseball. Uh, I don't get into it on that level, but those options are all there. Once the game starts, you are presented with a view where the camera is kind of behind and to the right of the pitcher. So you're looking at the back of the pitcher, and he's kind of on the bottom left. And then top middle, top center is the batter and the umpire and the catcher. Now, I'll just say, you know, I'll I'll talk about it as if you're playing a two-player game. So one player uh, starts at, in the outfield. And uh, what you do is you're controlling the pitcher and picking which pitches. So uh, there are four pitches that are presented to you. There's like a curveball, there's a slider, there's a fastball uh, changeup, I think is the fourth. And each one of those uh, is listed along with a direction on the joystick, up, down, left, or right. So the pitcher pit, uh, picks which one of those four pitches he wants to throw and then gets a second screen where he can uh, throw the ball high, low, inside or outside, or if you just press the button by itself, you'll throw it right down the middle. Um, now, it, those choices don't line up, so the person that's next to you that's playing the game can't see, you know, based off the screen, what you're picking. Now, the batter, on the other hand, uh, has some choices as well, and if you, the default would just be hit the ball. But when, once you start getting runners on base, there'll be choices there for steal a base, like, uh, you know, steal second, steal third, things like that. Uh, you can also choose um, the ability to bunt. So sometimes, uh, uh, you know, it, the computer is tough to fool. <laughs> and that is uh, an overall, an overarching problem with this game is that uh, it's hard to trick the computer. But when you're playing someone else and you bunt, they might not be ready for it and you might be able to make it to first base. Or, you know, uh, in traditional baseball, you would bunt uh, and then sacrifice the guy running to first so that someone else could advance maybe to second or third base or, or steal home. So, uh, But that, that ability is there. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, after you, you hit the ball, the game screen switches and now you get this, uh, pseudo, it's not really three dimensional, but maybe 2d, uh, kind of version of the play field. And it is from like the catcher's, uh, perspective. So he's at the bottom and then you can see all your guys that are out there in the outfield. So, uh, whichever player is closest to the ball will be flashing. And that guy has to either catch the ball or run and pick up the ball and then throw it to wherever you want to throw the ball. Now, 
throwing the ball is not automated, so you have to decide where you're going to throw it. And the joystick is basically laid out like the baseball diamond. So if you want to throw it, no matter where you're at, if you want to throw it to second base, you hit the button and press up. Because on a baseball diamond, the top would be second base. So right is first base, left is third base, and button and down will throw it home. There's a big problem with this game. Probably one of the worst things of this game is that they tried to simulate uh, distance and depth by slowing down the ball uh, when you throw it. So if you're on second base and you throw the base or throw the ball to first base, it goes really fast. Shunk flies right over. If you're in the outfield and you throw it to, let's say, second base, it's like rolling a ball through molasses. <laughs> it's like throwing a ball. I want to say on the moon, but I think it would go further on the moon or faster. I mean, the guy throws the ball and then it just goes like, do, 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 do. It just kind of slowly hovers. I mean, you feel like you can run three bases before the ball ever gets to where it's supposed to go. Now, as it gets closer to where you've thrown it, uh, it speeds up like right at the end. But if you're in the outfield and you try to throw it home, I mean, I might be exaggerating, but it feels like it takes 10 to 15 seconds for the ball to get there. I mean, it is just the slowest. It is so bizarre. It's so, and I get it. Like in real life, um, you know, it takes, it takes more time for the ball to come from the outfield to the infield than it would for infield guys to pass it around. Right. But I mean, when the guys in the outfield throw it to the infield, it takes like two seconds. I mean, or, or less, you know, and on this, it's just this weird, it's like, th imagine throwing a ball through a swimming pool. <laughs> That's what it's like. It's just this slow, weird thing. And it, it may, it, it's just strange. I mean, the first time you do it, you go, what just happened? And then the more you play the game, like I only throw it to second base from the outfield just to get it to somebody in the infield so I can try to make a play or whatever. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's just really, really strange. Uh, but basically, those are the controls of the game. I mean, everything is is picked during the uh, um, the batting process, right? The pitcher picks his pitch. The uh, the batter picks what he's going to bat, and then you throw the ball. And you have to hit, you know, when you're the uh, the batter, you press the button to swing, and you swing and hit the ball. If you're uh, early or late, you know, if you're too early or late, you'll get a strike. Um, if you're not right on, you'll get a foul ball, and it'll go out. So there's a lot of foul balls in this game. But eventually, you'll connect and start running around the bases. And, uh, and you know, at that point, it's basically uh, just baseball. Now, at any time, you can press the space bar and switch back over to that management screen. So later in the game, when your pitcher just starts throwing wild, like he's not doing what you're telling him to do, he's throwing wild outside pitches or whatever, uh, then you can switch out to, you know, bring in a fresh pitcher. And again, if you have the manual, you can find out which of the pitchers are better at, at, at uh, what types of pitches and stuff, but uh Really, I i mean, I've played many games of, of hardball, and very rarely have I ever switched out anybody. I just let them play, get tired. That's just part of the game. <laughs> That's part of baseball, baby. Um, so in trivia fact, this game, hardball, is the opening shot 
of the movie The Princess Bride from 1987. Uh, the Princess Bride, right at the very beginning, shows the uh, uh, logo for whoever the – I forgot who, who distributed the movie. But it goes to black, and when it fades in, they're playing hardball. It's not they. It's uh, Fred Savage, the kid uh, from the movie. And uh, he is home sick. And he's playing games on his computer, and that's when his grandpa shows up with the book, and he's going to read him this book called The Princess Bride. But he is playing hardball. Now, if you look at this scene, and I, I watched this scene last night, uh, I got to say that he must have had the longest joystick cable ever. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how long the average joystick cable is. Like, I mean, six feet if you're lucky. Uh, but this kid is sitting... At the head of his bed, sitting up, he has a joystick in his lap, and you don't really see the joystick cable, so they've obviously tucked it underneath him or coiled it up or maybe cut it off. I don't know. Uh, and it's one of those Thrustmaster joysticks. It's one of the ones I didn't really care for that had almost like a, a, a handle grip on the top, and it had a button on the top and then a button on the side. Uh, and, and they're both the same button. It's only one button. These were the ones that had suction cups on the bottom that you could stick into your desk. Um, but I mean, this bed is like eight foot long and then there's a gap to where his little entertainment center is. And then the computer is sitting up on top of that. And then he's got way on this high shelf, like a 13 inch TV. I mean, this, this is a setup that works in a movie. This would not work. In, first of all, if you were sitting at that desk, you couldn't see your own TV. So right off the bat, bad layout. <laughs> And second of all, you would, I mean, this joystick cable had to be at least 10 foot long, maybe 12 foot long. I mean, it would be the world's longest joystick cable. Um, so, uh, uh, and obviously Fred Savage is not switching in and out batters or, or pitchers or anything like that, because you got to do that through the keyboard. So uh, I guess he started the game and then ran back and got in bed. I don't know how he did it. I'm not going to think through the logics of how Fred Savage managed to play hardball. <laughs> And the Princess Bride. Uh, I will tell you something else interesting. When the movie opens and it fades into hardball, it is playing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. I don't believe that's a song that appears in a hardball. So, uh, and, and hardball has some really good music, but this isn't one of them. So it's like they've replaced it with some other 8-bit song. I don't know if they didn't want to pay the rights to the songs that were in there. I, I don't know why they did that, but um, I have a, a theory might not be right, but I think the music in Hardball is so good that maybe they wanted something that sounded more simple, something that sounded like a basic uh, 8-bit tune, you know, because it's it's playing a computer game and that's what people would expect because the music sounds really great. So I'm not sure why they replaced that, but it does appear like they did. Um, Let's talk about the reviews. Commodore User gave this game... On a scale of 1 to 100, 100. Commodore Video Games gave it 100. Your Commodore Magazine, 9 out of 10. Zap, 93 out of 100. It's pretty tough to find a bad review of Hardball. Um, 
The one, and there's an ASM magazine. They gave it an 85. This was the German magazine. And they said, we don't know how to play baseball. And they still gave it an 85. <laughs> so that tells you a little bit something. I mean, even if you're not uh, you know, a baseball fanatic, it's still a pretty good game. Uh, Lemon 64 has an average rating right now of 8 out of 10, which is pretty good for a Lemon 64 game. Um, Info Magazine gave it a 4 out of 5, and their quote was, Easily the best baseball simulation we have ever seen for the Commodore 64. So this game was very highly reviewed. It was very favorably reviewed, I should say. Um, it was, uh, uh, I don't know that I want to say an instant classic, but it caught on very quickly. It won an award for selling uh, 250,000 copies. Then it won an award for selling 500,000 copies. And again, I mean, if you think about how rampant piracy was of the Commodore 64, the fact that they sold half a million copies of this game is pretty impressive. Um, so it, this was a very popular. And one of the things that made it so popular was that it did have, uh, well, it didn't hurt that it had the best graphics that we had ever seen on a baseball game up until that point. And that view, um, you know, most baseball games had this kind of weird uh, either overhead view, like if we think about the old Atari baseball, uh, which, by the way, Bob Whitehead worked on or wrote Home Run uh, for the Atari 2600. But you had that top-down view of the baseball diamond. A lot of games at that time had a view uh, where you were like in the stands on the first base side. So first base would be at the very bottom Third base would be at the top of the screen, and your batter would be to the left, and then you would be hitting it out to the outfield to the right. So a lot of games had that. But this is the first one that really had that kind of um, you know isometric perspective, um, which is really not, if you think about it, not unlike the view that you get at Law of the West. It's just a little bit further zoomed out, where Law of the West, you're, you're zoomed in. You're basically seeing um, the sheriff's hand and the gun hanging from his belt. And this is further out so you can see uh, the entire picture. But but same type of view. This game, uh, Hardball, the first Hardball, uh, was ported to the Amiga, the Amstrad CPC, the Apple II, Apple II GS, the Atari 8-bit line of computers, the Atari ST. There was a DOS release, uh, Macintosh. There's an MSX and ZX Spectrum. And it was released for the Sega Genesis in 1991, which is, uh, doing my math, six years after it was originally released for the Commodore 64. Now, um, there were many uh, sequels to Hardball, but Hardball 1 is the only one that was released for 8-bit computers. Everything else uh, was done, you know, for the Amiga, for the Atari ST, for some of the gaming consoles. So um, hard, the original Hardball is really the only 8-bit version. Uh, there's Hardball versions 2 through 6. So they released at least six different Hardball games. Uh, I know that uh, version 5, Hardball 5, was uh, DOS uh and Sega Genesis, and it's the first one that appears on the PlayStation. So the Sony PlayStation has Hardball 5. So it was still going uh, as a franchise at that point. And then uh, Hardball 6 uh, was the last one in the numbered series, and it was released in 1998 for Windows. And that same year, there's another one called Hardball 99, as in 1999 for that uh, year. That was released for the PlayStation. So those were the, the last two versions of uh, Hardball release. Hardball 6 
which was for Windows, and Hardball 99, which was for the original PlayStation. Now, if you want to pick up a copy of Hardball, the good news is that they sold so many that it's not very rare. I saw a auction that was complete on eBay. By complete, I mean it was sold and somebody paid for it of the floppy disk and the box. It didn't have the manual, uh, but it was $15. So, you know, if you are dying to have a copy of, of Hardball to put on the shelf or or display, uh, you can get it pretty cheaply. Now, I did find some more expensive versions, but I, it might just be because the conversion rate right now that we're $25 to $30 of a later version, uh, a re-release that was on cassette. And of course, if you're from the UK, you'd probably be more familiar with the cassette release. But uh, again, you know, $25, $30, not that expensive for if you're wanting to buy a, a classic uh, title to put on your shelf and display. So now let's get into my personal memories of playing hardball. All right, time So as a kid, I was never a big fan of baseball. We had a local, I believe you call it a farm team here, that were the Oklahoma City 89ers. And they had tickets that were so cheap, and I never went. And uh, a friend of mine was super, my buddy Andy, was super into baseball. And so they would have... These different, you know, they always had things like, remember they, they used to have giveaways like in the 80s, I don't know if they still do this, like little miniature batting helmets, like you could go get those, you could go do different things, and uh, bobbleheads, I don't know if they bobbleheads were big back then, I guess they were, but they had a night one night, uh, it was on a weekend, it wasn't a night, it was a, a Saturday, and it was free bat day, so you went to the game, you turned in your ticket stub, and you got a free baseball bat, which uh, I'm not sure who came up with the <laughs> the giveaway idea of giving thousands of kids baseball bats. Like nothing good is going to come of this. Uh, but my friends and I went. So my, my friend's dad went. He took all of us. He took his kids and me and a couple other neighborhood kids, probably six of us all together. And, uh, you know, you go through the turnstile and they take your ticket and they rip it in half. And then you went around the corner and you gave them the other half of your ticket and they would give you a baseball bat. Well, we started looking on the ground and we found ticket stubs everywhere. Like people just got their ticket stub and tossed them on the ground or whatever. And so we went back, we've got other ticket stubs and went back and got more baseball bats. Now I'm telling you me, and there were two different lengths of baseball bats. I don't know if this was a kid bat and an adult bat, but there was a shorter one and a longer one. Uh, and I personally, that day, came home with six baseball bats. <laughs> I remember one time the guy was like, you look familiar. And I was like, nope, not me. He gave him the thing and he gave me another bat. I mean, what do they care? If you, you know, ticket stub for a bat, right? Um, <laughs> but I had, that was literally baseball bats for life. Uh, like it was a lifetime supply of baseball bats. And I used them uh, to anything that I ever wanted to do with a baseball bat in my life. I used those bats for, um, I eventually, you know, got rid of them. I think when I moved out, but if I wanted to uh, play air guitar on something, it was a baseball bat. If I wanted to go out and hammer something on a tree, 
baseball bat. I mean, I just used those bats for everything. Uh, and of course, we played baseball in my neighborhood, and, and we, everybody had an OKC 89ers uh, baseball bat. And the 89ers are gone. Uh, they turned into the Red Hawks, I believe. I don't know. It might be a different team, but the Red Hawks are a farm team uh, for somebody else. I want to say a, a Florida, maybe Oakland now, Oakland A's. I think maybe we're a farm team for them. Uh, and we have a very nice baseball stadium in downtown Oklahoma City. There's a Mickey Mantle Steakhouse that overlooks the ball field. A lot of people go there and have dinner and watch games. Uh, I've never been. I've never been to any of that. That, that one game when I was uh, eight years old is literally – the only baseball game that I have ever gone to in my life. Now, uh, Atari 2600 had several sports titles. They had uh, baseball. They had football. Uh, I, you know, originally, of course, Pong got turned into sports titles. They said, oh, this isn't Pong. This is volleyball <laughs> or this is squash or this is tennis, you know. So, so they tried to turn those into sports, but then you got, um, you know, you got legitimate uh, baseball, and you got the football games, and they were terrible because, uh, I mean, some of them were fun to play, but the Atari just, you know, to uh, to quote Aaron, didn't have the jack, <laughs> didn't have the jack to run. You know, um, <clears throat> in the football game, you had three offensive linemen, and they all had to, they were all stuck together. They all had to run the same direction, and, and you know it's just like a like moving around the base from Space Invaders, basically. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we had those games, but they they weren't very good. I know that when the Intellivision came out, that was all you saw in the commercials. They were like, "Our football game has nine people or eleven people, and theirs only has three. or you know. So it, that was a big big thing was how bad the Atari sports games were. Um, and then over the years, you know, on the Commodore 64, well, there was pure stat baseball, which was a, a game I had played, which was literally text based. You would just, you know, pick batters and pick your lineups. And then it would say like, Oh, sorry, you were out. <laughs> that was how baseball games started, you know, on the old computers. Uh, and it wasn't until there was a game called micro league baseball. That was uh, the first game I remember playing. That was fun. And it had that view. I'm talking about that, uh, side view, uh, you know, looking down uh, or from first base, that kind of sideways kind of view. Uh, but it had, you know, all the players and and, um, and it was fun. But when hardball came out, it just blew that away. Again, that three-dimensional, uh, you know, perspective of looking, you know, from the pitching mound, looking down at the batter was just something that hadn't been done uh, before. And uh, I played it a lot as a kid, even though I wasn't a huge fan of baseball, I played hardball quite a bit. Now, I alluded to this before, but the uh, CPU playing the computer in this game is just brutal. And, uh, you know, you might get a run, you might get a guy on base, and then every inning it seems like he scores multiple runs. Uh, when I was streaming the other night, I stopped, uh, I think, in the sixth inning because I was down 8-1. to one. Uh, and, and that's the other problem with this game is that um, if you get behind, like in the first or second inning, it's going to be a long game. It's going to be eight or nine innings of you losing. Uh, and, and it just is very difficult to make a comeback in this game. Like, you know, in real life, you know, you always hope, oh, they're going to get guys on base. They're going to hit a home run, whatever they're doing. Uh, but in this game, it just doesn't seem to happen very often. It's kind of, uh, scores, 
that are, uh, you know, runner score one run at a time. And once you get behind, it's, it's very difficult to come back on. But, uh, I did play this game with uh, friends. I played it with Andy and I played it with Jeff and it was a lot more fun with two people because, uh, again, you know, if you throw some crazy pitch, a screwball to the outside, the computer's never going to swing at it or a slider. You know, if you throw a low slider, it basically bounces before it gets to the plate. The computer's not swinging at that. But if you're playing with a friend, you'll get them to swing at anything, you know? And so it's, it's more of a mind game, like guessing what they're going to throw more than watching the actual pitch. So uh, this is a, a game that really benefits from having two humans playing against one another. For graphics, I give Hardball five out of five home runs. I mean, this was, at the time, the best-looking baseball game released for any computer system. For music, I'll give it four out of five. I, I really could be talked into five out of five, other than the fact that it doesn't play music all the time. You just get uh, little short songs in between innings, but uh, the music that's there is top-notch. Uh, sound effects, again, I'll give it four out of five just because, you know, there aren't that many, but everything that happens when you, you get a hit, when you run, when the crowd cheers, all those things that you expect to hear are there and they all sound great. Uh, overall gameplay, I'm going to give this five out of five on the stipulation that you're playing with a second human being. If you're playing the computer, I'll give it a four out of five. It's still a great game, but it's really, really difficult to win and you may get frustrated before you reach the end of the game. again for tuning into Sprite Castle. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at robohara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. All patrons of my shows get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hare. This episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at retrorewind.ca forward slash Sprite Castle for a 10% discount on all orders. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, like You Don't Know Flack, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohara.com for links to these shows. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. 
And finally, a special thanks to all my Patreon supporters. These are the people that keep the machine moving. This show is getting more, both this and my other show is getting more expensive to produce. I've got some different things coming in, some giveaways, some other stuff. And uh, this, the people that support me on Patreon are honestly the people that keep the show going. So thank you to Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Carrie Clanton, Chris Folds, Christopher Warren, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Hebe, Darren Folds, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, David Chambers, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stryanisi, Gabriel De Janeiro, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vebke, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, Boar's Head Tavern, John Morrison, John Bodakar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Ellie, Matt Nicholson, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Rydar and Christopher Bowe, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scott Lambert, Scott Vandrasek, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, Steve Sharippa, The Slow Norris, Vintage Volts, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and The Mysterious Cobra Kai. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to the dugout, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.